Chapter 3 Flowers Wake up, searcher of Finnaths, Amory's mother proclaimed sarcastically as she swung open the boy's bedroom door, letting the world of the awoken penetrate the desolate land of sleep. All thoughts of Tempertime Cemetery and the Sprith were absent from Amory's mind as he slithered out of bed. It was not until he changed out of his nightwear and saw the wound on his leg that the memories of the previous night's momentous venture crashed through the encasement of slumber to rouse full consciousness. With these flowing thoughts of excitement came also the painful thoughts of having to wait to use the cemetery until he was of the proper age. He pushed these contemplations away and focused solely on the instantly satisfying possibilities within his imagination. The boy sluggishly dressed and found a bowl of crumb meal waiting for him on the kitchen table between two burning candles that had not yet been blown out since his mother had awoken. The golden glow of the candle fires meshed with the youthful, dull light pouring through the partially exposed windows. Amory sat down and eagerly and hungrily ate the mixture of sweetened breadcrumbs. Just as the boy finished eating, Lunel came into the kitchen holding two pairs of garden clippers and baskets. All right, let's go and get this over with, she said, tucking her lips in and motioning with her head for Amory to go out the door. It was Moon's Day, a holiday that occurred roughly once every 147 days when all four moons above the Isle of Winter and the world of Awaya would, for a short time, be visible in a straight line. It was on these illustrious days that the people of Winder would gather at the Isle's gardens to collect flowers, place them on the graves of their loved ones in Tittle Field, Winder's second cemetery, for the purpose of burial, and finally end the day in a festive celebration. The Isle of Winder was the home of the boy and his mother, and one of the many isles scattered across the surface of the black waters, the accursed liquid that spread so vast across the world of Awaya that even the grandest ship could reach no destination. Only by the portals in Tempertime Cemetery could anyone travel to the other isles. The bulk of Winder's prosperity rested in agriculture. Fruits and vegetables of all kinds were the sustenance of its wealth and life. Other resources, such as woods and metals, were the staples of other isles for which Winder bartered. The solitary town of Winder was built on one of the coasts where docks had also been erected, docks from which attempts at exploration had been launched in vain, and where the last ghostly ship lay harbored, its final journey, ages forgotten. The joy of Winder, however, rested in the gardens of divine cultivation and experimentation. These gardens were the life stream of passion and beauty upon the Isle's soil. Travelers came from afar to witness and trade for the most magnificent of flowers. Within these gardens, the palette of the world was held. They were the home of the efflorescent life that scintillated the grandeur of appearance. It was here in the gardens that interconnecting plateaus of vivid charm held to one another with precious ramps and where colorful petals always laced. It was here on the top of a splendid hill, Winder's highest point, where an ivory-covered watchtower overlooked all else, that there evolved the grandest of flowers. Amory and Lunel walked off towards the gardens of Winder and the rising sun. The distant, ascending star was a pale, golden orb, giving only ever enough light to create dawn and dusk. The cycle of days was nothing more and nothing less than extended dawn to extended dusk to night. 
Light from the moons was often more vivid and illuminating, a magnification of intensity as the beams ricocheted between the four massive satellites. The light from the moons was brightest of all on moons days. While moons days were among the most anticipated holidays for the people of Winder, the merriment was not shared by Lunel. She participated out of duty, not desire. There was nothing in that open field for her to reminisce. Her husband was not there, and her parents were, the dictators that Destral helped her escape from. The day held for her a dread of longing, longing not in terms of wishing for an absent one's presence, but longing in terms of a desperation for justice and peace. Over the years, Amory picked up on his mother's resentment towards the event and eventually grew akin to her disposition. When Amory and Lunel stepped through the ornate gateway of the gardens, others had already dispersed within the maze of extravagance. The people of Winter had begun collecting their favorite flowers for themselves and numerous other flowers for those unable to retrieve them on their own. Letting no time separate them from the eagerness to fulfill their obligation, the boy and his mother disappeared into the sea of color. There were hundreds of different flowers, all transistors of moonlight, dispersing the flow of warm ashen beams between their foliage and their petals, emanating neon radiance. As the sun gradually mingled its light more with the remnants of moonbeams, the flowers transitioned into pulsing beacons, what moonlight they retained traversing through their systems. Small breezes flooded the flowers as petals into subtle animations, and the air was fresh and scented with luxurious aromas. The landscape was a glimmering rainbow of translucent resplendence. The picking of flowers was done meticulously, with the utmost of care. There was nothing more sacred than the fully bloomed artistry of an almighty flower, but nothing more abominable than the snapping of a bud stem too soon, either by accident or by purpose. Skill in maintaining flowers was known by all. It had to be, although only a few people, like Amory's mother, were raised as menders, one of the most glorified and respected occupations of winter. Menders were different than gardeners. It was the menders who dexterously grafted one species of flower to another, enhancing the beauty of an already existing flower or entirely recreating the spectrum of vividness in a new species of flower. Amory, Lunel called to him from a few yards away. Come look over here. Reluctantly, being lost in a realm of thought, Amory broke free from his own interests and made his way over to her. When he gazed at what she had to show him, all replaced his complacency and his eyes widened. Before him was his favorite flower, the ambrosia. It was a royal blue spiral. Every cloud-shaped petal lay under another petal on one side and above a petal on the opposite side, like fallen dominoes formed in a circle. This flower was truly enchanting. When Amory looked at it, he seemed to be looking into eternity, something endless. He wanted to dive into the center of those spiraling petals, right into the yellow pistol, into something beyond all knowledge and understanding. I'll let you pick it, the boy's mother said. I'll sneak it home to the beckoning box for your father. Amory's face lit up as he reached out with his clippers to make the necessary cut. Here, he asked, to make sure he did not make a mistake. A little bit lower. Right there. Snap. The flower came free into Lunel's gentle hand. She placed it beneath a pad in her basket and smirked at him. Good work, she said. Let's pick a few more flowers and head over to the field. 
Tittle Field was significantly different than Temper Time Cemetery. It was smaller and its craftsmanship was less spectacular. It was bare and bleak, and abstract wooden designs protruding from barren soil acted as grave markers. Upon these apparatuses were carved the names of whom they marked, along with any memorandums. The people of Winder did not have the knowledge, skill, or resources needed to create those constructs that made up Temper Time Cemetery, but they did have the splendor of their flowers. On Moon's days, Tittle Field was transformed. Those seemingly dull wooden contraptions became the framework of brilliant shrines covered completely and immaculately with the colorful glory and richness of the garden's flowers. When those who had been picking flowers arrived at the cemetery, including Amory and Lunel, silence permeated the air. The rest of Winder's people were waiting for them. The collections of flowers were laid out, except for those flowers to be used personally. Within the silence of reverence, the people walked before the gathering of blooms and selected those they liked, no more than were needed. Not one flower was unworthy of choosing, only preference of color and species separated approval from refusal. Before long, all of the flowers had their owners, and the people of Winder spread across the cemetery to bring into life the canvas of wooden skeletons, all while remembering those long and recently passed. Amory, unlike the people of Winder, remembered not what lay in Tittlefield, but what lay in the remnants of memory. Tendrils of cloud formed a patchwork across the sky above Winder, leaving an arrangement of slits through which moonlight penetrated. The intensity of light waxed and waned as the clouds shifted on a stream of steady wind. Amory, several years younger, stood at the edge of Temper Time Cemetery, waiting for his father to return from his journey beyond the Isle of Winder. The boy's mother had just moments before left him to meet Destril deeper in the cemetery, having received word from his business companion, Jerast Middlestack, to do so. Jeras had come to the cottage and fetched Lunel, stating that Destril was soon to arrive and that he needed her to meet him in Tempertime Cemetery upon his entrance, and that it was urgent. Without delay, Lunel headed for the cemetery, carrying Amory with her. Comforted by her words and touch, the boy knew nothing of the dread that worried his mother. He only excitedly looked on as Tempertime Cemetery grew near. "'Stay here, Amory,' Lunel said as she placed the boy on the outskirts of the cemetery." I'll be right back with Dad-Dad. She then strode off into the vastness of the magical hub of transportation. Within a portrait of shifting clouds and light, and the ends of the rows of enchanted stones, the boy soon saw his mother heading towards him in a fever of intense and swift movement. Veins of red liquid coursed down her face, and a knife and ragwire flute occupied her hands. Her hair was disheveled and her clothes were tattered. The boy's father was nowhere to be seen and has never been seen since. <laughs> 